From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week, we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in filmmaking. It's March 30th, 2016. I'm Michael Lodemark, one of the show's producers. Today's episode features a conversation with acclaimed photographer Gregory Crutzen, whose distinctly cinematic style has been hugely influential for photographers and filmmakers alike. His new series is called Cathedral of the Pines, and it documents his recent move from New York to rural Massachusetts. Crutzen joined us last week for one of our free talks, which are sponsored by HBO. In a candid and generous conversation with our director of programming, Dennis Lim, he discussed his art, life, and new book, which is now on sale. Let's go now to their conversation. Join us in celebrating the remarkable career of Morgan Freeman at the 43rd Annual Chaplin Award Gala on Monday, April 25th. Freeman will be honored by his friends and collaborators, including Helen Mirren, Danny Glover, Robert De Niro, and Matthew Broderick. The annual gala is the Film Society of Lincoln Center's largest fundraising event, helping to support our ongoing work in education, artist development, and cross-cultural film outreach. Tickets to the star-studded event are now on sale. Visit filmlink.org gala for more information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So, um, let's. Uh, I, I think we'll, we're we're just going to start by maybe talking a little bit about Cathedral of the Pines. Um, the image that we see uh, up here uh, is is one of the photographs from this new series. And this is also your first uh, sort of new body of work in, in several years, and um, you've sort of described this as. Um, a kind of a rebirth for you, a, a project that made you rethink um, your process and, and, and your work. Maybe you could just um, set it up for us and, and tell us how it came about. Right, well, uh, Cathedral of the Pines, maybe more so than any other body of work, uh, really did come out of sort of d deeply personal um, um, sort of series of events in my life and you know you're never quite conscious of it at the time but there's always a relationship between art and life and you know I think that um, an artist makes pictures in a certain way to try to in a certain way to try to s establish some kind of order and try to create meaning in one's life and Cathedral of the Pines, um, I think, was an effort to do so. And um, uh, just to maybe back up slightly, all the pictures were made uh, in Beckett, Massachusetts, which is where I had a family home for many years. Um, so just starting there, it was um, like a return in in a certain way. And then... I, uh, about five years ago, um, I left New York after a dark period, a difficult divorce, and um, moved to a church in Great Barrington, outside of Great Barrington in Massachusetts. And I then went through a period of two years where I was not making pictures. And, um, but I would every day go to Beckett and start walking up the Appalachian Trail uh, and do these long distance swims uh, in Upper Goose Pond, which is a lake that I used to go to as a child. And I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but I think this was like an act of healing in, in a way. And during the winters, I would uh, uh, I would cross country ski, and um, about two years into this process, I was um, cross country skiing in Beckett in the middle of the woods, and came across a pine forest, and uh, I noticed there was a little sign that said Cathedral of the Pines. And it's not an exaggeration to say that was like a, 
felt like a moment of rebirth to me. Like, and I saw the entire body of pictures like in my mind's eye. Um, I know that sounds romantic, or um, uh, but it's, it's it's really true. And I think it was I was reconnecting to a moment maybe in my childhood, and um, and I knew right then I wanted to make all the pictures in Beckett on location with a small crew, and all the details sort of came out of that. But like there was that revelation. What what did that phrase, Cathedral of the Pines, suggest to you? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that I just moved into, moved a, church into a church. <laughs> I should say I'm not religious. Um, I'm a non-practicing Jew. Can we say that? <laughs> I think I was described in an article as being a non-practicing Jew. So, um, <laughs> And that... Um, I immediately responded to that title, and I was rereading Raymond Carver at the time, his short stories, Cathedral, and it all just seemed to make, make sense. And I love, well, first and foremost, there's like what the central theme in this body of work is um, nature and um, figures in the landscape, either um, in wilderness or in um, domestic situations. So uh, that phrase, Cathedral of the Pines, um, definitely um, was a kind of central metaphor that I was using to establish this body of pictures. Right. Um, it's nature, the woods, the wilderness, it's a, a sort of a slightly different um, environment that you, than you've worked in. Can you talk a little bit about you know, the attraction to that and also how that changed um, your process and the way you worked? Well, the previous picture is um, particularly uh, I guess my, uh, to date, my most well-known body work, uh, Beneath the Roses, mainly took place in sort of small towns, and um, and consequently there was a lot of public um, pictures made where we closed down streets, and um, there were pictures um, that were much more operatic. And the decision to work in Beckett sort of the underlining decision to do that was th this idea of um, I wanted to feel like we were isolated uh, making pictures in um, in sort of private places uh, so we're in um, these kind of domestic emptied out interiors and in forests and um and all of that was in an effort to make something that felt very intimate, very um, um, uh, removed from uh, um, sort of civilization. Uh, I think for those of you who've seen the show, and I think this is a good example there, there's a lot of... Um, figures in various states of undress, you know. There's a lot of flesh in these pictures. Um, there's a lot of bodies, different kinds of body types. And uh, and that was definitely um, something that uh, was uh, conscious. It was one of the themes in the pictures is like a kind of longing, sense of desire, um, some sense of wanting to make a connection. So you said you worked with a considerably smaller crew than you usually do, and um, was that because you, you say a bit about the reasons for that? I, on some level, obviously, you didn't need one if you were not like closing down streets. You didn't need that many people, I assume. 
Well, I mean, the one thing is like we uh, wanted to make uh, like my first um, sort of series of decisions, which I worked very closely with Rick Sands, who's my DP. Um, so we had long conversations um, previous to making the picture is that um, wanted a very different look for these pictures. Um, as I mentioned, I didn't want it to feel, um, to have that same sense of spectacle. Um, so we worked really hard to make a, a, a sensibility, a, a, a sense of uh, light and color that felt more muted, more restrained, um, um, more painterly, which was a key. So. Um, Another thing I should maybe mention is like when I was going through that sort of dark period, I was went to a show at the Metropolitan Museum that was very influential for me called um, Rooms with a View, which is a 19th century painting show. A lot of figures and interior spaces, windows. windows. And I um, uh, returned to that show many times and one thing I've really began to notice that the central light was coming from the exterior in. So we worked um, uh, to create that um, sense of lighting. Um, so we made these crazy rigs, uh, bounces, and all sorts of, but all in the service of doing something very quiet. What about this uh, this process of of casting? Um, I I think it was maybe a little, as I understand it, a bit different too in terms of what you were looking for and the people you were working with with the series. Well, I work very closely with Julianne, who's also here, um, and um, <laughs> we work very closely on the pictures together. That's emotional. Um, so um, the pictures are very much a collaboration. That does not answer your question, no. but it's in <laughs> <laughs> um, Gather myself here. Um, uh, Julianne's family is from Beckett, too, so move on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, so to answer your question, um, oh, everyone in the pictures are local. Yeah. They're, um, most people have never been in pictures before. Um, we did local casting, but I tried whenever we could to use um, like um, people who lived in the area. And I think that created a certain kind of intimacy and um, that my pictures have never had before. And in fact, Julianne's, in fact, this picture is my daughter, Lily, uh, seated, and Julianne's um, uh, daughter, Harper. So that's, an example of making pictures of people who are very close to my life, but um, uh, but made in a way that um, blurs reality with fiction in, mm -hmm. in in a certain way. So, like for in that, for example, in this picture, which is called the haircut, um, I location scout and this was like in sort of this little campsite called um, Walker Island. Uh, Walker is the name of my son too so just to and uh, and after sort of just spending time there I realized it would be nice to have like some kind of narrative that um, felt domestic in some way so I thought well, a haircut could be good. And then um, 
and then another theme in this body of work is um, a search for home. So I like the idea of them building a kind of um, makeshift home in the woods. And um, if you notice, the, the, the show has a lot of like temporary shelters, like in this case, in two cases, there are outhouses in the, which we built. Uh, and we always, so we would joke on set that we say like, it's an excuse to put a light in a box, basically. <laughs> there are a lot of lights in boxes, you know, in the pictures. Uh, yeah, so that's sort of how a p kind of picture is made. Um, starts with an idea and then it's enlarged upon and then um, we sort of do whatever we need to do to make the picture feel um, beautiful and mysterious. I wanted to come back to this uh, uh this question of you know, working in in these um, in the woods and in these more rural environments, um, in a lot of your um, earlier work and I think a lot of your best known work, um, you're engaging with this quintessential urban and suburban like American landscapes, um, and the woods are also I think have a very particular meaning. Uh, you know, I think that whether it's the the romance of the wilderness or also the the sort of the the mystery or the fear of this um, this primeval forest, especially in, uh, you know, New England and uh, where you were working. I'm wondering if you, you, you thought a lot about this, because I think your, um, many of your earlier photographs, um, I think they take these sort of familiar seeming environments and then they, they heighten or, you know, defamiliarize them. And were you thinking of just representations of, of um, these kinds of, you know, these kinds of landscapes and, and how you were engaging with a tradition? Right. Well, I did mention um, I was certainly thinking of painting and uh, and any, uh, any particular I mean, painters. I, I don't really like. It's all um, like uh, you know, well, Balthus and Hopper and uh, even Rockwell. Um, then European, you know, Vermeer and but. I don't like to think that specifically about it. I just, to me, it's like, what I, the first and foremost is like, I'm trying to make a picture that feels complicated and feels uh, real in a certain way and feels um, like every part of it means something. You know, that like, we go through enormous amount of efforts to have like everything in the picture have a kind of hyper detail, hyper focus, um, and um, specifically the interiors. Um, we worked in two different locations uh, in Beckett where the window, this is a good example, becomes like the most important kind of um, visual motif. In this case, this picture is called the Dis the disturbance, and we're looking out through a window, and there's a it's hard to see, but across the lake there's a fire truck, and there's three a line of three um, firemen sort of crossing the frozen lake, and it's meant to feel like there's some kind of occurrence but it's left to your imagination what that might be. And it's about the figure sort of um, experiencing that in some way um, in, her, in a kind of moment of psychological reverie. Right. But generally, there's not a lot going on in these pictures. They're like, there's almost no like literal story. It's all... It's really more so than any of my other pictures, these moments in between moments um, of reflection. So this is another picture of uh, Julianne and her daughter Harper. And um, I don't know, I just love the relationship the figures have to the 
cold exterior. Um, the first time we tried this picture, Julianne was actually um, nude outside, and um, it was like zero degrees. And uh, within minutes, she started getting hypothermic. Um, and our, you know, usually anything for the picture, but I think in this case, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not hypothermic. Yeah, we had these heaters going though, like right next, like a, like a flame, like one of those right. flame, flame flowing heaters, and she was actually sitting on, uh, standing on a, a heat heater underneath the snow, but that just didn't. <laughs> but it's a, it's an, it's an example of, of like learning from your own mistake in a way and like the first time the picture didn't work I mean for practical reasons but more importantly it didn't work conceptually for me and when we made the picture the next day I realized it just has to be some, so much simpler and quieter and it could just be about the two figures on the couch and then some implied presence through the footprints in the snow um, we also had another rule, you know, like every, I think every body of work artist makes rules, you know, parameters. So one of our rules was we would never light the snow. So the snow was always um, um, just ambient light, mm. partially because it's so right. white. But, and the general rule was like, to light the interiors and um, through the windows usually, and then light sort of secondary homes from the inside, but not outside. And I think that's effective for the, for the pictures. I like that picture. <laughs> Just go on a record. <laughs> So obviously we see that there are um, different uh, seasons. It's like uh, how many stages was the uh, production? Yeah, so the production was overall uh, the three productions. There was, uh, the first one was summer production where we were working in and around um, Joanne's parents' house. The second one was the, these winter pictures which were uh, on a different kind of compound. Uh, and then we did a third production was the final one, which was all the kind of forest scenes. But the idea was like through making these pictures, it would all become part of the singular world. Like it would all be like one world. Like I think that is something that I is really important to me is like, using photography to create a world that feels absolutely um, singular. Like, it feels like um, it's a world that has a relationship to our world, but is also something other than our world. It feels um, very particular and subjective and, and unlike movies, um, you're very limited in terms of um, establishing a world in a photograph because it's a single moment. So the, you have to do it through light and color and through focus and through framing. Um, so you have to work, all these things have to be operating to create the, the, that sort of particular view of the world. Right. Maybe we could talk a little bit about movies, since sure. we are the film society. Um, <laughs> and but uh, it's interesting that you mention, and I certainly see it, that th this is a sort of more painterly um, series for you. But uh, I think the, work, the word that is most commonly used to describe your work is, is cinematic. Um, and uh, I'm wondering what that, you know, do you think that's an accurate descriptor and what, what, what do you think that connotes? Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, from early on, um, I was always attempting to create 
a photographic sensibility that felt um, uh, like it had a very direct relationship to movie making. Um, and I've always, from very early on, loved movies profoundly um, and still do. I mean, I think in a certain way I love movies more than I love art. You know, I'm more, um, I certainly go see more movies than I go see art. You know, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Um, and this is from very, since I was a child, really. And I always loved the way movies looked, like projection of light on a screen. Um, but I've always thought in terms of single images. Um, that's the way my mind works. I think it's partially because I was dyslexic, you know, and I have very sort of I have difficulty with uh, linear thought and um, so from very very early on I wanted to create a photographic language that brought cinematic technique into the still mm. image so I mean maybe we can just break that down a little bit like what does it mean to call a still image cinematic obviously you know cinema is, is moving images um, and I think Part of it is um, lighting, I would say, the quality of light um, and this, uh, maybe the um, the sense of simultaneous like artificiality and realness, which I think really comes yeah. across in, in the certain kind of cinema and in, 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 in your work as well. Right, well, I always say that my film, my photographs are as much about films as they're not about films, mm -hmm. so... Um, like almost everyone who works on my pictures come out of movie making in one way or another. That that's their um, um, most direct experience. And um, but so every sort of part of our production is cinematic in one way or another. Like in terms of lighting, in terms of set design, in terms of using props, using um, figures, uh, you know, it's all like in one way or another related to movies. The big difference is that we only have to create a single image. And so we could put, it's a privileged situation where we don't have to worry about plot or we don't have to worry about story. Uh, we don't have to worry about coverage or any of these things that um, a movie maker would have to worry about. So. We just, we can, the idea is to try to condense it at all into a single image that feels like lasting and enduring. But unlike a movie, um, I think, every single thing in the frame means something because you look at it um, in an enduring way. It's not like you don't go from one edit to another. But do you think about story? I mean, because your your photographs in particular are often talked about in terms of their narrative uh, elements. Well, I definitely consider myself a storyteller. Like, that's how I would sort of define myself, as a storyteller, first and foremost. But the story I tell is very, uh, is is an oblique one. It's a condensed one. And, and um, I'm only concerned about that singular moment. I'm not concerned about what happens before or after. It's just the frozen moment in time. And I really want the story, whatever story there is, I want it to remain um, a mystery um, to the viewer and to myself. So I have an inkling what I think the story might be about, but I... Um, I, w I don't want to like, I don't want the story to resolve. Like I want it to keep, stay open-ended and, and I want the viewer finally to bring their own story to the, to the, to the work. So um, an early, you know, we're talking about movies and an early influence uh, for me was um, Pauline Kael, mm -hmm. uh, the f great film critic who, um, lived in Great Barrington her entire life and was a family friend. Um, my mother's here, she was great friends with her daughter. And we 
I had a, you know, from early on, I think we would go see m movies with Pauline or special screenings. And um, I think from that moment, I, I kind of like understood the, sort of the power and urgency of of movie, movie making. And I think I learned a lot from being around her. And uh, what was it like to watch movies with Pauline Kale? <laughs> uh, well, she did definitely did not hide her opinions, you know. Um, and uh, but it was also you could see the vitality that she had, and like her love of the movies was just so profound and so um, contagious in a way. So that was, I think, like you know, I wasn't again, I wasn't conscious of it at the time. But I like if I were to trace early influences, I would say like being around her. And then moving to the town that um, she lived in her most of her sort of uh, her life was also kind of amazing. Um, what were some of the, you know, do you remember some, what some of the early touchstones were for you in terms um, of films? Yeah, well, the first, let's see, I remember seeing Poseidon Adventure when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Um, that great. Is that a great classic? Do you think? Yeah. Um, well, when I was in graduate school, and we talked about this, uh, when I was at Yale at n in 1986, I went to see um, Blue Velvet. Uh, and I could honestly say that um, changed my way of seeing the world you know there's like i always say there's like kind of definitive lists of um great movies that's one list but to me the more interesting list is the movies that changed your life and that movie changed my w life in a very profound way like i remember not not seeing the world the same way as um, after seeing the movie then s s and then it had a direct relationship to my work like almost immediately mm -hmm. I mean I was always interested in in uh, kind of always from very early in um, small towns and suburbia and um, uh, but um, I think that movie was hugely um, impactful. Can you say more? I mean, I've uh, I've heard you um, and I've read you on 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 Blue Velvet, so I, I know well um, what you know what the film means to you. But maybe you can say a little bit more. But I I, I love in particular how you relate it to like you know a sort of childhood memory of yours too. All right. Well, um, my mother's here, so she doesn't like this story, but. <laughs> Uh, I'll, fr I'll phrase it in a way that um, will go down easier, I think. Um, so we, we grew up in, uh, or I grew up um, in Park Slope in um, Brownstone. Um, and my father was a psychoanalyst. Um, and he had the basement in the, he had his office in the basement of our house. And that, I think, had a huge impact on me, my brother, and my sister, because there would be patients coming up to the um, house and going into the basement doorway, and there'd be sessions happening um, underneath our living room floor. Um, and we were instructed never to acknowledge the patients as they were coming up the street. And, and if we were making too much noise while a session was going on, my father had like a buzzer. <laughs> um, you know, I still like, um, we're, and we all freeze, you know. And I tell the story, I'm not even 100% sure like how, you know, where the truth begins or ends. It's like become one of my pictures, but I do have an early memory of like attempting to listen to the sessions through the living room floor and very Lynch-like, <coughs> Je very Jeffrey, Dom uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Beaumont. Yeah, like, like, like Jeffrey in the Listen closet. to the, yeah. 
um, whatever was happening in, in the, under the basement, basement uh, in the basement. And I, I honestly was too young to understand what was happening, but I knew that whatever was happening was secret mm -hmm. or forbidden in some way. And that metaphor, that's the important metaphor, is like, I think runs through all my pictures. Right. That idea that there could be mystery right. and secrets in the domestic setting. Sure. No patients like Dennis Hopper, though, probably. <laughs> no. <laughs> <coughs> um, Although my father was named Frank. So you tie it together. Um, I think we are going to take some questions from the audience since there are so many of you here, uh, and I'm sure you have questions for Gregory. Hi. Hello. Could you just talk a little bit about the process of actually making the photographs? Because I'm a filmmaker, and you know, I I look at these films and I kind of go into a trance, and I'm like, well, where's the light coming from? And how did he find that person? And did they? Did they make the footprints in the snow, or and then they have to erase them? And, and, and I'm, is it all shot right in one thing, or do you do stuff in post? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, it's a very long process of of making the pictures that I um, like to say it divides my life neatly into pre-production, production, and post-production. So the pre-production lasts for months, and that's usually like the first steps of that is like location scouting and uh, whether I'm like location scouting in exteriors or interiors, it doesn't matter. It's just like an image will sort of come to me through that process. And then I work with Julianne to write a description of that image, which becomes like the kind of Bible for the, for the picture. And again, it's like two paragraphs and it's just basic description of of what's in the picture in a very objective way. And then, so then the next step would be that um, my producer, uh, Saskia, I think that's you out of there, or is she here? Um, oh, I thought I saw her. So anyway, okay. I work very, we work with her to put together a budget, and then we plan, like, with my team, including the um, uh, Rick and uh, various other people, like the logistics of making a picture, the locations, and what, and then location manager and all that. Um, so by the time we make the picture, and then we have to cast it and figure out like what the decor is, or if we need props, all that stuff. So by the time we make the picture, it's like we're pretty clear on like the framing and where the figure is going to be or like I have a very clear um, uh, image in, in my mind, you know, and since I've been working with the same group for so long, we have a shorthand where we don't, there's not a lot of discussion when we're making these pictures. It's like we're, like I always, I've said like if, if there's a lot of talking, that means there's a problem. So usually... But one hallmark thing is that once the camera is positioned, we never um, uh, move it because we shoot over the course of um, the making the picture, we shoot about 100 um, images. And during that, we like do every imaginable focus and every like kind of beauty pass, we call it. Like, so we get in camera on install shot digitally every uh, possible scenario in terms of exposure and light and um, focus. So that's during production and then post-production goes on months on end into years sometimes where we're basically just digitally trying to recreate what we saw on when we're shooting and um and there's a lot of compositing that goes on you know to create that absolute focus and uh but we would never add anything like it's just what was there um and to me like the part that's by far the most like meaningful is when we're shooting and everything comes into fruition you know there's like chaos 
beforehand, there's chaos afterwards, but there's that like slight moment where it all comes together. And, um, and it's that sense of order, which where for that moment, like life makes sense. Yeah. One more question. So, is the shoot actually like a day, or is it like three days, or? So the way that works is like it's impossible to get up and going to just make one picture. So, in this case, it was three productions. Each production was like four to five weeks. So, and that's part of the experience of making Cathedral of the Pines is we're a small group, or like fifteen of us or so, and it was like a family really, and we all like. Um, bond on a level, we're all there, we all live in the area, or there's uh, people are housed, and we eat together, and, and so it's like, and over the course of that four or five weeks, we'll make, try to do a picture almost daily. Sometimes it's a pre-light, but we try to shoot, particularly in this body of work, a lot, you know, and we always come across problems you know in in cathedral of the pines there's a lot of problems with weather so we're outside like very frigid um of you know snow and um temperatures and um floods and um you know there's we're really up against it and that first picture i showed like uh um uh, one of our crew members almost drowned in that river, you know. So, but all of that's like part of it, I think. <laughs> Hi, Gregory. Hi. Did you predetermine the age bracket of the characters in your image beforehand, and is there a significance or a reason for that? Well, in this uh, particular demographic, of uh, Cathedral of the Pines, definitely one of the themes is mortality. Um, and as I mentioned, the body. So I was interested in like um, um, different kinds of body types and different kinds of, and aging was definitely a theme. Um, and, uh, um, but then also there's, Adolescence, so coming of age was also a theme. This is a picture of um, a father and son, um, and it's, he looks, I would say, like sickly maybe, and you see the boy only through reflection. So I think there are these moments of, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but like, um, I was definitely conscious of those things, yes. In your previous work, your lighting looked a bit warmer, I would say, yeah. and this one seems to be very cold and much starker too, much um, stronger light, right? Is, can you tell a little bit more about technical details and also why you're choosing such strong and obvious light? Yes. Uh, well, I mentioned uh, the, the main light source usually coming from outside in. So um, we would, particularly in the snow pictures, like um, have a very cool light, you know, because we want to match the temperature of the snow. But generally, my preference is for like a cooler, chillier palette. That's what I respond to most. And I want the figures in my, um, in my, images to feel like almost corpse-like. Like I would always say like, no, they, like, they need to be like more, they feel more dead, you know. <laughs> 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 uh, but like that's, I don't know, that's like part of the aesthetic and the work of like this, these figures feeling like almost like zombies in a way, you know. And if you don't mind, one more question. What's, can you walk through a process of, you, you lighten so precise on a person. Can you walk through a process of lighting a person? Like well, that? I mean, we do a pre-light, and we do, a st we have a stand-in come in. Um, and so, as I said, like, by the time the subject comes in, like, there is no improv, you know. We're, they, we know exactly where they're going to be standing. 
And so the, the, the palette, the lighting, the, all of that's been completely considered beforehand. And then when the subjects come in, it's just a matter of the minor sort of changes in terms of like attitude of like their shoulders or their face the move, like the tiniest little things. Um, um, and that's what I think makes, kind of makes the picture is the smallest little details but my general instruction to my subjects is always less like I want less from you like I want almost nothing you know <laughs> and if they give me more than that I get really um, aggravated like <laughs> I don't want anyone to perform for me like and that's one of the reasons I don't like using actors generally like um, that they want to they want motivation, they want like plot. I'm like, no, just like nothing, <laughs> less. Um, and generally I want nothing to do with like, even though like in these, in these, in these pictures it's um, sl slightly different, but generally like I still want there to be a kind of um, slight uncomfortable quality between me and my subjects. like. I don't want to spend a lot of time with them beforehand. That's why we sort of give them that description. It's all in the description. So when they come on set, I want them to feel slightly uncomfortable. I want to be uncomfortable. And I think our discomfort together creates part of the energy. It's like, I want in the pictures, there's this feeling, a tension between intimacy and um, and uh, detachment. It's like, to me, that's where the, res the tension, there's tension in that. Like, mm -hmm. something that feels very private, but at the same time, very objective. Yeah, so for many, many, many years, I used 8x10 camera and like uh, film. And I used, our sort of old expression was like, live and die by the, eight by ten camera because it's a cumbersome and you sound you probably know it's like a beast and it's very uncooperative and but what it can do is you could do so beautifully is have that absolute description and um, uh, but it has very very limited focus and to me the always the drawback was we couldn't see the image you know, like we're ma we're closing down full city town streets, and l have lights and cranes, and we can't see what's in the goddamn. <laughs> you know, like when you're making the picture, you can't see it. You know, so um, and there was always that time when, like, the poor, in, you know, the intern has to bring the film down to New York to to, to get developed, and between the time we took the picture. And time the film's developed, there is no picture. You know, it's like, um, and so when we started shooting digitally, um, and we used a d really high-end digital camera, like um, like a like a four by five camera, um, so we use it in the same way. Only now, um, I feel like the quality is better. You know, and it's certainly much more controllable. So to me, like, I'm happiest when my every single day is the same. Um, I really like... That's very David Lynch, actually. Is it? Yes. I like routine. Like, I like the same... I know you're going to... The same cup of coffee from the same coffee shop every single day. <laughs> and I try to eat the same food, and I swim every day, and uh, I'm, I'm happiest when those I wear the same clothes like I have um, like two different kinds of outfits I have my summer outfit and my winter outfit <laughs> <laughs> um, and all of this is in an effort to like not think about all that stuff you know and then and I'm happiest when it's like that like I don't really like to travel much um, I like to be like um, 
and because and 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 then when you have those habits and those routines taken care of, then you could like gives yourself freedom to think about the pictures. And um, so I swim daily. I, that's when I th mostly think about the making of pictures. Is when I'm swimming and uh, and so. I'm a big believer in routine and uh, ritual. Um, and that all sort of falls to the wayside when I'm making pictures, because that's when, you know, when you're in production, it's much like life becomes chaotic and cr crazy. But I do make time for my swim every day, for sure. Okay, well. I think uh, we're going to. Have to wrap I want to thank you. I want to thank you. It was such a pleasure, yeah, Gregory, thanks. for being here. The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to the close-up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.